You ever notice how often our Christmas carols speak of silence at the time of our Savior's birth? All is hushed, the world is sleeping, we sang in the carol, still, still, still. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given, goes the carol, O little town of Bethlehem. The silent word is pleading, we sing in the carol, what child is this? And then there's that most beloved of carols, silent night. Strange, isn't it, that so many of our Christmas carols mention silence at the time of our Savior's birth. And it's strange because the stories we read in Matthew and Luke about the birth evoke not silence but sound. We read in those two Gospels of angelic pronouncements to Joseph, then to Zechariah, to Mary, and to some shepherds. We read of a whole angel army singing glory to God in the highest heaven. That doesn't sound like silence to me. And the settings we read about in Scripture, they call to mind noise. We read about a census that gathered people together in Bethlehem. And when you've got crowds, people from coming from different areas in one spot, you've got noise. People greeting one another, talking, selling things, asking questions, moving things. When you've got crowds, you've got crowd noise. If you don't believe me, go out on Colorado Avenue on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, any time, day or night. Crowds make noise. And then in Luke's gospel, we have these interesting references to animals. Jesus, we read, was laid in a feeding trough for animals, and shepherds watched their flocks by night. And let me tell you, if there were animals there when our Savior was born, there were animal noises. (laughs) I remember when I stayed with a family in Honduras, they had roosters, and I thought, you know, roosters, they crow at dawn, right? Wake you up, alert you to the new day. How naive I was. (laughs) How naive that rooster crowed at 10 p.m., at midnight, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., it crowed all through the night. Shepherds will tell you that sheep are likely to talk at night, especially if they're in a new location. They want to find their surroundings and know who's around them. You'll especially hear sheep sounds when there are sheep mothers with young lambs. The lambs will cry out to the mothers. The mothers will make sounds so the lambs can find them. And then, then if the birth took place in a stable with animals around and all the commotion of birth going on. Let me tell you, those cattle, if they were there, were lowing with big sounds of moo. Critters make noise. And then there's the noise of childbirth, the way Luke's gospel paints the portrait of our Savior's entrance into the world. It's a very earthy, very human story. There's a sense that this is an earthy human birth, and so we anticipate there would be the sounds of Mary crying, of Joseph offering words, seeking help, of movement around, the animals responding to all that, and then there would be that sound, that cry Jesus makes when He takes air into his lungs for the first time, we would hear a cry. And why, why shouldn't there be sounds on the day or night of our Savior's birth? Why shouldn't there be sounds? When God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, a voice spoke. When God drew near to God's people at Mount Sinai, there was a sound of thunder and trumpet. 
when God showed up for the prophet Isaiah. We hear of heavenly people singing, holy, holy, holy. God may have appeared to the prophet Elijah once in a low whisper with a sound that sometimes translated a thin silence, but on so many other occasions, God met Elijah with sound, a voice speaking to him, or a strong wind tearing through the mountains time and again. In Scripture, God shows up with big, bold sound. And this is good news, right? For sound is the world we live in, and God, if God is to meet us where we are, if God did meet us where we are, entered the mess of our lives and brought us the stuff of heaven and redemption, shouldn't it be audible? If we can't hear it, wouldn't we miss it? For sound is the world we live in. There are traffic noises, alerts on our telephones, people talking to us, above us, over us, or near us. There are televisions blaring, stereos blasting. And if you try to get away from all the noise and go out to nature, you'll hear different sounds. You'll hear birds chirping or fluttering, lizards darting around, wind blowing, leaves rustling, water flowing. Sound fills the earth. You might know the musician John Cage once went in search of silence. He was going to try and find it somewhere, and he heard there was a soundproof chamber at Harvard University that they had designed, so he went to this chamber. He went inside, shut the door, and tried to listen to silence. He heard two sounds, one that had a higher pitch, one that had a lower pitch. When he left the room, he asked about those two sounds, and he learned that the high pitch was the sound of his nervous system. The low pitch was the sound of his blood circulating. He came to the conclusion you can't escape sound. Sound is there. Silence, he said, we just can't find it. There's sound everywhere. He even brought it into a soundproof chamber. Sound is inescapable. So praise God that when God chose to come to us in Jesus Christ, God did so with sound. Praise God that for the voice that spoke to Moses and got him to lead and enslaved people to freedom, thank heaven for the thunder that got people's attention and called them to receive and then follow the commandments of God. Thank heaven for the noisy pronouncements of angels that grabbed the attention of Joseph, that caught the ear of Zechariah, of Mary and some shepherds, pointing them to that miracle of the God-made flesh. When God sent the living word to us, praise God that it arrived with that first blessed cry of a newborn baby, a cry that signaled new life for the world. Still, when you think of what our response should be to the miracle of the God-made flesh, to that indescribable gift, well, that's when songs about silence, they make a world of sense. You see, there's still good reason to sing Silent Night, Holy Night. There's still good reason to sing how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. For such carols speak to the right human response when faced with the incarnation. What do you say in response to the jaw-dropping, in-breaking of God? What do you say when the power that made all things draws near to you and when you grasp it even for a moment? What do you say? 
Eventually, you get around to saying, thank you, God, or singing God's praise or telling others what you've heard and seen, what you've experienced. But initially, when it dawns on you, when you grasp it for the first time, what words do you use to say? Silence seems like the most appropriate response. Silence seems called for in the face of that great mystery. Zechariah, we read earlier in Luke, learned this lesson the hard way. God spoke to Zechariah through an angel named Gabriel announcing great things to come. The angel told Zechariah his son would be a herald of the coming of the Lord. That son would grow to be John the Baptist, a forerunner of Jesus the Christ. Zechariah should have been silent in the wake of such awesome news of God drawing near of his son-to-be being used to glorify this God, but Zechariah spoke. He asked the angel a question. He said, how will I know these things you say are going to come true? And so the angel thought Zechariah could use a little help right here, grasping the right human response to a divine message to God drawing near. And the angel struck Zechariah speechless. Sure, Zechariah would later sing God's praise in his famous Benedictus, but before that, his initial right response to God's visitation and coming glory after one false start was just to be dumbstruck. And shouldn't we be all dumbstruck when news of God breaking into our world reaches our ears and for a moment we grasp it. The first time I looked out over the majestic Wailua Canyon on the island of Kauai, or the first time I looked out from the top of the island of Iona and could see the expanse of islands and oceans before my eyes stretching out, when I'd look at the beauty of it, of what lay before my eyes, I said nothing. For what is there to say? I would talk about the experience later. I'm talking about it now. But in the moment when it washed over me that I was before a power so much grander than I was, what do you say? Wow? It doesn't quite do it justice. Maya Angelou writes of the moment it dawned on her that God's love in Christ came near to her. And what she calls the grandness of it, the grandness of it, left her dumbstruck. She'd been asked by a teacher to read to him a section out loud of a book that ended with three words, God loves me. Maya Angelou read the section to this teacher, then closed the book. Read it again, the teacher said. So she opened the book and read those last three words sarcastically, God loves me again he said, and she did, and again, and then something started to happen. She writes, after about the seventh repetition, I began to sense that there might be truth in this statement, that there might be a possibility that God really did love me, me, Maya Angelou, and I knew that if God loved me, then I could do wonderful things. I could try great things, learn anything, achieve anything, for what could stand against me if God was for me? The knowledge 
humbles me, melts my bones, makes my teeth rock loosely in their gums, and it liberates me. I am a big bird winging over high mountains down into serene valleys. I am ripples of waves on silver seas. I'm a spring leaf trembling in anticipation. As the realization of her own belovedness in God's eyes dawned on Maya Angelou, what words came out of her mouth? Not one, not one. Ask me about the presence and love of God touching down in Bethlehem, and I'll speak of sound. I'll tell of angels announcing, crowds murmuring, sheep bleeding, a baby crying, the earth shaking, shepherds proclaiming, heavenly hosts singing, Gloria in excelsis Dale. But ask me what I said when I first realized this Jesus was my Savior. Ask me what came out of my mouth when I recognized this child was God's in-breaking, sin-forgiving, justice-making, world-renewing presence. Come near to me. Come near to us, 